back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Greg Bach, who helps run the Milwaukee Comedy Festival and the Laughing Tap Comedy Club. Greg started doing improv in 2006, then began his stand-up career in 2012. Now he's bringing some of the best comedians in the country to Milwaukee's only comedy club. We talked a lot about the club, hosting, and the Milwaukee Comedy Festival, which begins on October 3rd and goes through the 10th. Greg's a great dude. You're going to be a fan. I know it. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, sign up to the Patreon. It's just five bucks a month. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. I, I really appreciate the time. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. So what's uh, what's comedy like right now in Milwaukee? It's coming up. It's really starting to grow between the pandemic. Well, I don't know <laughs> how to how to refer to it. Are we are we midway through? Are we halfway? Through? I have no idea. Where I have no. At, maybe so. we're just starting. Who knows? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But there's open mics happening, and there are small shows happening, and we at the Laughing Tap are doing shows every weekend as well. So I'd say like between people coming out and the doors opening, and just the scene growing by nature, it's a it's a good growing scene. I know, like I'm in Binghamton, New York, and when we started doing shows again in like early April, people have just been flocking. I mean, it's it's really yeah. it's awesome. It's kind of sad that I have to thank the pandemic for helping my comedy career and booking career, but it's not a bad thing. I mean, is that kind of how it's been? uh, Yeah. When we first opened, we were having trouble selling 20 tickets and people weren't that I don't, I don't know if people weren't interested or they just didn't know about us. Probably a little bit of both because they were a little nervous about getting out of the, uh, of their houses. But with things like Netflix and Amazon prime specials, they're seeing comedy in their homes and they came to realize there's a comedy club right there in Milwaukee. And as we add seats, we're continually selling out. I think there's just a need for entertainment. There's a need to do something and people realize how much they love comedy. So they're coming out to the laughing tap and seeing shows every weekend. Did you guys open this club in what? 2009, 2019 rather? No, we opened it in January of 2020. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We opened it. Yeah, we uh we opened in January. We had a good ten weeks. Uh, we actually had a great ten weeks. Uh, Sam Ike was our last performer before we shut down. Wow, he came out to perform, and there was a weird air because at our open mic the week before that, that's when Tom Hanks had announced he had COVID. That's when the NBA. The night of that open mic is when the NBA shut down. So we were just watching everything just. It went from, well, maybe we'll have to close or we'll be fine because we'll just we'll just be extra safe to, oh, we're we're all going to be closing. That's <laughs> that's pretty much it. And so, yeah, we, we opened in January of 2020. We had a solid eight to 10 weeks and then we shut down for about three months and we reopened in July of 2020 to very small crowds. It just didn't work, though, because every time we'd start doing something, a surge would happen. Every time we would have a little bit of success, we'd have to shut back down. So we didn't really reopen consistently until January of this year. We've been open ever since. It's so crazy how our country works, like, and maybe the world, but Tom Hanks gets sick and everyone's like, okay, 
this is serious. Like, like protect yeah. Tom Hanks. Yeah. I, and honestly, like, and this is a really morbid statement, but I'm going to say, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think that this country would have actually taken COVID a little more seriously had Tom Hanks died. If he yeah. would have died from COVID, we, we would have been like, everyone get in your house now. Yes. America's dad is gone and we need to protect ourselves. You know, it's so, yeah, it, it, that he was, he, <laughs> he would have been the sacrificial lamb, but who knows? We probably still wouldn't have. <laughs> no, no. Oh, it's a, it's a liberal hoax. You know, it's just Hollywood yeah. really stepping up its game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, I'm surprised that no, I've never heard anyone say that, but I'm probably going to hear that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> is there an actor more beloved than Tom Hanks? I mean, I can't no. think of one. Tom Hanks played America's most beloved person, Mr. Rogers. I mean, it just, that's how wonderful he is. He gets to play Mr. Rogers, who you cannot say a bad word about, period. I mean, he went from Bosom Buddies to the Money Pit, like Joe's Volcano, that thing you do. I don't, I mean, I'm sure he's got a bad movie, but I have oh, seen does. it. He, I'm, I mean, uh, Volunteers wasn't very good, I got to say. Oh, I never heard of that. Yeah, no, it's actually fun. It's it's John Candy's in it, and anything John Candy's in, I'll watch. So I like I love John Candy. I for some reason I just forget about him. Like like I grew up watching Spaceballs, and that mm-hmm. movie to me I've never seen Star Wars, but I've seen Spaceballs about eighty times, and <laughs> I almost think John Candy makes that movie. No, John Candy. I mean, every movie he's in, he's funny. Every movie he's in, and. He's not funny in JFK, but he is a standout performance in the film JFK. I never watched it. Because that. you're expecting, oh, it's a raucous little jaunt of conspiracy <laughs> theory and cocaine addiction. But, I mean, it's it's Oliver Stone's interpretation of what people say happened in the JFK assassination. But John Candy is in the movie for, I wouldn't say cameo, but he's in the movie and he plays a character who does something that he, he smokes while he eats. And it's like he'll take a drag of a cigarette. Everybody in that movie smokes. Everyone in that the children smoke in that movie. And he takes a big old drag of a cigarette, pops some like crab salad, and then like as he's eating, blows a plume of smoke out of his mouth. And it's the most disgusting thing. But it's John Candy. He's mesmerizing. He'd probably be America's most beloved actor if he was still alive today. That's true. He's Canadian. (laughs) We don't care that. As long as you're good, we'll take you. We love Canadians. Are you a Seinfeld fan? I've watched the show. I wouldn't call myself like a huge fan, but I've, I've, I'm enough of a fan to know what some of the things maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, two things. They do. It was a very confident answer. <laughs> they do. Have you heard of Seinfeld, the, the guy? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so they do two. One where they've got a JFK conspiracy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's uh, like the Keith Hernandez, the second spitter. And, yep. and uh, Wayne Knight is actually in... I think he's in JFK and also yeah. part of how my brain works is like I watch Spaceballs and I'll say, oh, maybe I should watch Star Wars and maybe I'll get more of it. But I'll watch an episode of Seinfeld and I'm like, oh, maybe I should go back and watch JFK or, you know, watch an episode of The Simpsons. I'm like, oh, that reminds me of this. Maybe I should watch The Godfather and know what they're alluding to. And the second thing from Seinfeld is that there's an episode where Michael Richards is smoking a cigarette while drinking like he just chugs a beer oh and it is i remember that it's impressive to watch but you're like like your heart hurts while watching it but you're like how does he do that is that similar to what what john candy did 
John Candy just like, I mean, he's just, he takes a drag, he pops the food. And then just as he's eating the, I, th- I think the smoke comes out of his nose. Wow. So like, it just, I mean, like I said, in that movie, everybody smokes. It's disgusting. Are you even allowed to smoke on like TV anymore? I, I think know. depending on the network, I, I think you can if you're like cable network. I don't think on network television you can. I think it, to smoke in on network television, it has to absolutely be a part of the scene. Like it has to connect something. I have no idea, but I, I can't remember the last time I saw someone smoke on network television. When I was in college, we were told to watch any movie, you know, minus Disney and even Disney sometimes, but just watch any movie and look for cigarettes or cigars or whatever, but we're told that like the cigarette industry, the tobacco industry was so involved with Hollywood and everything that they had like contracts that like you have mm-hmm. to include this amount of smoking scenes and you watch the movies and you're like, Oh my God, maybe that is true. Cause everybody yeah. seemed to smoke. I mean, not everybody, but in somebody in every movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was very prevalent back in the day. And, and I'm just I was thinking of a movie like the Sandlot where it takes place in the sixties where everyone should smoke. Like one of those kids should smoke, but because it was made in like the late nineties, uh, early two thousands, I think they're like, we can't have children smoking in this movie. The dad can't smoke in this right. movie. So oh, I know what we can do. We can give them chewing tobacco. Oh, that's right. They have chewing tobacco. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And they made it disgusting. <laughs> so I was like, don't do this. Yep. But I was of that age and I didn't see that and think, oh, let's do it. I was too busy watching a guy like Lenny Dykstra, you know, pack his jaw yeah. with, with I mean, that guy, I saw like an exhibit of his at like a discovery center and just a science center up here. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, this is what, Lenny Dykes just half a jaw looks like. And we're like, ugh, it was like missing pieces. It was all discolored. So I'm like, yeah, let's not do that. Yeah, that's one of those things where like I used to be, I'm a former smoker and um, chewy tobacco just never, ever even entered into my, it's just gross to me. It's just absolutely gross. I was in 10th grade or 11th grade and I was in math class and I don't know what this guy really had, but he had a, a snapple bottle full of tobacco spit. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yep. a spitter. And I learned. And uh, it was in a glass bottle, and it rolled off his desk. or just broke. And I got, like, the juice all over my arm. And I remember uh, oh. raising my hand, and I said, Miss Jemison, I have to go to the bathroom. And she said, no, no, wait until after class. And I, I raised my hand. And I said, Miss Jemison, I'm going to the bathroom. And I walked out. I was like, there's no way I'm sitting for the next 24 minutes with tobacco juice yeah. all over my arm. Yeah, that's disgusting. Ugh. So when did you start doing comedy? I started doing comedy in 2006. Yeah, 2006. I started with uh, improv. I started training in improv. I worked through comedy sports, trained with them. And then eventually by like 2012, I think. I started moving into stand-up. So I've been a part of the comedy scene in one way or the other since 2006 and uh, moved into sketch too. So I've done all, I've done all three, but like stand-up was the one that really got me. So was that a hard transition from improv to sketch to stand-up? It was only as hard as I made it because I was one of those improv people who said like, no, I'm never going to do stand-up comedy. That's just that I I don't want to write comedy. And, and honestly, like now to this day, I don't write 
comedy like some other comedians write. Like I don't sit down with a notebook and say, all right, I'm going to write a joke. I'm going to refine it in this notebook. I, I go on stage with a, with a premise and bullet points that I want to hit and I write the material on stage to a certain degree. I mean, there's some things I do write out, but my improv background really has lent to my style of stand-up, which is more of a conversational type of thing. I mean, there are jokes and there are punchlines and there are tags. One thing that I, I see a lot of cocky improvisers do is think, well, you know, I'll just go on stage and be funny. I'll hold the mic and just be funny. And I see, I'm sure you've seen this too, improvisers who've never done stand-up just bomb their face off because yeah. they're just, they're not doing it correctly. So I would say my improv has informed me as far as like trying to find tags and punchlines on stage as well as dealing with people on stage if uh, you know being able to deal really well with hecklers and and problem people on stage that's definitely from my improv training yeah that i think and i've never done improv and i wish that i had done improv before doing stand-up and i i'm sure it's not too late but i'm jealous of the fact that okay well at least i believe that improvisers have that advantage and like that little extra Mm -hmm. bag of tricks to deal with something that isn't planned on stage, like somebody yelling or a drink falling or anything like that. To me, I would think you, you just develop that tool to be quicker. And whereas just somebody who just did stand up is kind of learning on the go. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely something that I had right away just because we had to deal with people who were unruly at comedy sports yeah, it's it's something that I'm glad I have in my back pocket at all times. And I and I honestly think every stand-up should take an improv 101 class. I think it, it does nothing but help. I'm not saying uh, move to Chicago and become an improviser. I'm just saying, you know, if there's a place where you see a, a, a beginning improv- improvisation class happening and it's reputable, go ahead and take it and see how you can learn to breathe on stage and, and get out of that. Like, you know, I, I remember once seeing a comedian who was being heckled by a woman and he straight up ended his, he didn't end his set he stopped his set and said look i do not do crowd work at all i do not know how to handle you would you please stop talking did it work like no no that oh, okay. she was drunk she was so drunk yelling about the civil war and i don't even think she was like being problematic i think she was just yelling about the civil war because of a joke <laughs> about the civil war so so yeah i i think i think that uh that it can help everybody, but you know, I, I get it. Like some standups are vehemently against improv and so, and there's a weird war between improvisers and standups. And then the sketch people are standing on the side saying, I don't care about either one of you. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, uh, I think it's, I think it's a good thing to have. So what broke you down? Like what made you say, okay, well, let me give standup a shot. Well, I had always watched stand-up as a kid. Like I had been watching comedy since I was a little, little kid. And so I was very familiar with it, very familiar with performers and, you know, certain class of comedians that I watched as a, as a kid. And I think what happened was, is I just thought, well, I can't do that. Those are writers. Those are people who know how to write jokes. And, and so with improv, it's all right. Well, it's a team of people and we just we'd be funny on stage and that, you know, have that sort of mentality and, and I won't do stand up. I didn't hate stand up at all. I just was like, I, that's not for me. I can't do that. And then little by little, my friends started doing stand up and they started getting good at it. And I was like, well, maybe I could. And I literally said for, I'd say probably five years that I was going to try it. And I didn't. And what's funny is, <laughs> 
at first they were all very encouraging. Yeah, come on down to an open mic. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I never did it. So finally, by the time I, I, by that fifth year, they were like, okay, either put up or shut up. And I'm tired of hearing about you wanting to try stand up. <laughs> and I, and, and I did what I did with improv. I took a class. I took a class on stand up and how to do it and learning how to just write jokes or, be a stand-up comedian and that's what i don't know if i would be doing stand-up had i never taken that class honestly when you write you say right on stage and you've got these bullet points do you have Mm -hmm. a closing punchline in mind or do you wait for that to come to you on stage i generally have in in the bullet points i have a closing punchline okay or something to close the joke something to like round it out i never go on stage i i never want to go on stage and then say something and be like all right, well, I'm moving on from there. Uh, you know, I no, I usually generally have like something to to. I can't even think of the words now. It's so early, um, <laughs> but uh, no, I I generally have something that will round out the the thought. So at least at least even if it's not the funniest thing on earth, and I don't I don't do it like I I don't go on stage with unfunny material because I don't want to do that. But like I if I go on stage, I make sure that I have something in the bullet points that kind of just like puts a little bow on it. Yeah, there was a time in my part of New York where, like, Binghamton is on the map. It's not a huge city, but we're next to Syracuse yeah. and Ithaca and Scranton, Pennsylvania. And we're within yeah. an hour or two from a lot of the comedy scenes. And we had a time where I was able to get on stage at least four or five times a week, just in open mics. And then, you know, you have shows mm-hmm. on Friday, Saturday, whatever it was. But on Monday, I'd be in Ithaca and I'd take kind of a, an idea we only had like six or seven people who went there. So you had all the time in the world to work on it. And I would take that and then I'd listen back to what I was doing. And then I'd, I'd cut it down and say, well, this, this part sucks. This is, there's nothing here. And then condense it. And then hopefully I would get on stage on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and have something formed for a Friday show or a Saturday show. So I can try it out. And that's the closest I've ever been to really writing on stage. And mm-hmm. I'm very jealous of people who can do that successfully because for me, my background is in journalism. So yeah. when I go on stage, if I don't have something pretty close to memorized word for word or something where I can just freelance a little bit, my confidence level isn't there. So yeah, I just, yeah. I need something to fall back on. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's, that's the thing is like, for me, that is, uh, if I was to sit in front of a notebook and try to write a whole joke, I think I would, I'd, I'd write like five pages. Oh, okay. I started out doing that. I started out writing my jokes out and my jokes were like paragraphs and I would do them and I would memorize them and I would do them on stage and I would think, to, and, and, and I fashioned myself a storytelling type of comic in the vein of like a Patton Oswald yeah. who you know, he's probably my favorite stand-up comedian ever is Patton Oswalt. And, and so like, I would go on stage thinking, well, I'm a raconteur comedian. I can tell jokes and, and there's going to be long swaths of silence and, and it's going to be informative and blah, blah, blah. And I was just telling these stories that one, weren't very good stories and two, didn't have enough jokes in them to justify me being on stage to tell them <laughs> in the first place. So I had to shorten things up quite a bit. I mean, I, I in no way, shape or form, I'm a one-liner comic, but like, I do base a lot of things on a story, but the stories are just much shorter now. And for me, I have to just be able to learn how to become, you know, like it's learning about being a good storyteller on stage, but on the fly, if you will, because I just can't, I, I, I thought I told myself it, and now that the pandemic is, is whatever that I would like discipline myself a little bit more to write a little bit more when I go out to do shows and whatnot, but we'll see what happens. I mean, 
I haven't performed since March of 2020. I didn't oh, take part in the Zoom show. Right. Yeah, I didn't take part in the show Revolution. I tried doing it once. I was like, this is not comfortable at all. I'm doing it for a Target team meeting. And they were like, you want to do some comedy? I'm like, sure. And it was terrible. Um, so focusing more time on the club. And and so now getting myself back out on the stage. So Yeah, the Zoom stuff I enjoyed. But you definitely had to have the right perspective to do it. Like... There's a lot of people who are like, oh, Zoom is the future, and this is what we're going to do. And I, I was like, I hope not, because it's no. fine. It's a great – like, we're using Zoom now, and it's great for this. It's great to yeah. network and connect with people and, honestly, save commute time. But, yeah, I mean, it kept me writing. It definitely kept me writing, yeah. and, and I connected with other people. Those are the two things that I really valued. I was lucky because I started an outdoor mic. And then we actually got inside in November of 2020 and we've been doing a weekly mic every week. So like the stuff I would write on zoom, I could also take live and see if it translated mm-hmm. that. I think, yeah. I think you just need to use zoom as writing, just do it for the writing and don't yeah. have these grandiose ideas of, Ooh, it's going to be zoom comedy and everything's going to happen. And I was like, ah, People got bored with it very quickly. Yeah, I think watching Zoom shows, like just even watching Zoom shows were difficult. And I and I yeah. paid money to watch some heavy hitters and and they're great. Like they're great performers, but that like sporadic laughter that that it just it just didn't it was and, and it's so easy to become distracted. Yep. Start looking at your phone. No one cares that you're looking at your phone. Get up and go make a sandwich and come back. I mean, there is a there is definitely a an ease to watching a Zoom show, but yeah, I, like I said, I did one of them, and I was like, "Now nah, this just isn't for me. This is for other people." And 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 maybe the, you know, I I feel like there's a lot of times where I don't, you know, like I'm not writing all the time, and and know people who are like, "I gotta fill notebooks." I'm like, "Why do you have to fill notebooks?" Like for me, I'm gonna write when I feel the need to write. I'm gonna create when I feel the need to create, but I'm not gonna force myself to do it. And if that makes me a non-comic or not as, if I'm not like grinding as much as other people are, that's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. Mike, you got to stand that grind. Stand that grind. <laughs> I'm trying. Trying. No, I, I'm wondering if, you know, as a guy who started his own comedy club, how was it like watching Zoom shows and seeing somebody get up during like half a bit and coming back with food? Like, did it just completely take you out of like, what, what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be an audience member. and This would never yeah, happen at my I mean, club. It's It's weird to watch it. I mean, like on a Zoom show... I think that it just became part of the normal thing. And in a real show, I'm always like, like, like I get you have to go to the bathroom, but I'm also like, just stay for the jokes. Stay for the yeah. joke. To be perfectly honest, though, I mean, uh, the room is so small that if you get up to go to get a drink, you're still going to hear the entire joke. But yeah, I mean, Zoom shows are just, I, I don't know. I, I, I found myself watching audiences more than the comedians themselves. I would scroll through the audience and see what they were doing. And, you know, how they were seating themselves, seating themselves, and you know if they were working while they were watching, and, and yeah. you know I was more fascinated by that than anything else. I was doing them every other week, just to honestly, just to keep the connections open and my name out there. Because I started producing a lot in New York. I would say I ramped up. I had like fourteen rooms around the state before the pandemic wow. happened. Yeah, so for me it was like, and that was that would have been in like. I don't know. I started building in like April of 2019. And so mm-hmm. went up in there until March of 2020. And 
I was like, okay, well, this is a way for me to keep my name out there. So I did it every other week. And we had one show where this guy invited his friends who didn't pay. And that was fine. But they set up their phone against like, it must've been like, it was in California. must've been against a restaurant's window because they were outside. And they just, they had to have muted us. And we just watched them eat a salad. And we're like, all right. And they were talking. Like they legitimately were ignoring us while we could watch mm-hmm. them ignore us. And I was like, oh, this, this hurts. <laughs> like, yeah. like, this is, is not this is what weird. I did. Yeah, this is not why I started the Zoom show. That is so weird. Yeah. It's just, we're going to turn on the show, not pay attention and talk about other things. Like that's just, the, just say no, we'll watch it next time. I mean, that's just so weird yeah it wasn't like we were distracted like they they were muted and we were apparently muted but i'm like oh, why like because and uh the guy who invited him was talking to him he's like hey hey i don't know jim hey hi i'm here remember me and i was like all right <laughs> it's just it's just kind of strange but that's something that i've never really I seen i would have kicked him out i would have been just like all right you're not even paying you're not even paying att- you're not you didn't pay you didn't pay attention just save your phone battery I I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm at a bar and it doesn't happen very much anymore, but if I'm at a bar and I see my battery level going low, I'm like, well, that's, that's closing time for me. Like it's, it's, I gotta go. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, if I, if I go to a place and they don't have Wi-Fi, I'm like, Oh, why am I even here? Yeah. I used to say that if I, cause every guy, I think dreams of owning a bar. I used to say that the first thing I do at a bar is make sure I've got an electrical outlet just by every seat. So if they bring a cell yeah. phone charger and they charge it, yeah, I'll eat the few cents it costs to charge your phone, but I'm going to get that extra beer or two. I don't know if that's a safe idea around like a like a glass, an open <laughs> bottle, but I'll take the risk. It's also something people would tell people like, like, hey, you can charge your phone while you're getting a beer. You know, that's true. That's true. And so, so um, when did you start? Because you helped start or you are the founder of the Milwaukee comedy festival. No, I'm not the founder of the festival. That started 16 years ago as the Milwaukee improv and sketch festival. And Matt Kempel is the, he's basically the, the guy who is in in charge of it. And, you know, I mean, so Milwaukee comedy is a company and it consists of Matt Kempel, Caitlin McCarthy and myself. And we run through Milwaukee comedy, our remote shows. We run our, uh, Milwaukee Comedy Festival, which is in its 16th year, that's happening in October of this year, October 3rd through the 10th. And then we also run the Laughing Tap. Okay. And Matt is one of the co-founders of the comedy fe- of the comedy festival. And we and, and I came on about five or six years ago as a comms director. I was a communications director, and then I just moved up to, to producer. And through that, I started working more with the remote shows of, for Milwaukee Comedy. And then uh, finally, we you know had a plan. We had a we had a five year plan to open a comedy club, and within three to four months, we opened one because oh, we wow. just got this opportunity. Yeah, yeah, we had an opportunity for a space, and I shouldn't say three or four months. We we'd been talking about it for a while, but we would always said like a five year plan, a five year plan, and I would say uh, more honestly, I would say probably a year and a half into that plan we opened the club because we just got an opportunity on a space that we couldn't pass up and we just went gangbusters on it. And then in 2020, 
we opened the Laughing Tap, which is Milwaukee's only comedy club right now. Like there's no other stand-up comedy club in the city. And we're pretty excited about that because it allows us a certain amount of freedom and we would bring in great, great names. So the festival started first and then Milwaukee Comedy then followed as a more like a calendar like a like a website that show like oh there's upcoming comedy happening here there's upcoming comedy happening here put your stuff on our calendar and then the remote show started happening one by one like you know it's, we have our keg stand up show we have our a dandy comedy show and it's blossomed over the past 15 16 years from a small little festival to being the biggest independent producers in Wisconsin that's incredible i mean yeah how much work goes into putting on that festival? A lot. Yeah. Like, uh, from, okay, for me, I think, oh, okay, yeah, you just have to watch videos and secure a venue, and then, hey, you're good. I mean, it, it is, you know, we watch videos, we secure venues, but then we have to, you know, it's watching videos, then telling people they're in, telling people they're not in, then it's securing volunteers, securing food and drink, getting sponsorships. You know, the whole, it's, it's a really tough work and the pandemic has not made it easy. No, you know, it's, we were going to cancel last year because it was right. And we used to do the festival in August and we decided let's do the festival in October this year, make it real, real small, small audiences, small amount of people who are getting in and just try to do something, see if we can do that. And it worked. And I really think that it influenced the way we're doing it now for this year too it's like it's we're doing it in october again we're going to keep we're actually going to just going to keep the festival in october it's actually kind of perfect for us because there's a lot going on in august in wisconsin you know we up against state fair up against other festivals so we thought let's keep it in october it's fall it's starting to get a little cool outside and people want to find stuff to do they can come to the festival and it really just it's a it's a really good time but it is a lot of work it's something we start working on so we do the festival in october we'll probably take the rest of the year off or no actually not even that we'll meet around thanksgiving or the holiday season to start talking about the next year who do we want to have what headliners do we want to work with how can we get people through the door like what can we do to make it different or or interesting or whatever so so you've got neil hamburger Headlining this year. So yeah, Neil Hamburger. Yeah. Yeah. How far in advance do you need to have to get a guy like him to headline a festival? Well, I mean, it's really just about how we work with their, their, the agents or managers. You know, it's sometimes we get a, like, like we're not done announcing headliners yet either. We're still working on getting more headliners. Okay. It's about really just the situation. So like if, if they're touring around that time, we'll try to secure them for the festival we have cultivated great relationships, not just with the artists now, but with management and agents that allow us to be on a short list of people to work with. Because like I said, we're the only comedy club in Milwaukee and not every comedian wants to do theaters, you know? Right. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's true. Like there are some comedians out there who rather say, I'd rather do four shows at a small venue than do one show at a big venue and you know they may they might make more money they might just enjoy small venues i don't know but we are a small venue and so we kind of have a we have an advantage it, it really just it really is just how does the situation work out like a lot of times like we, we will get an email from a manager saying hey there's someone coming through this time we're like let's book them for the festival yeah who is your dream get 
for that festival. I think we always talk about like we talk about Maria Bamford. Yeah. We we always talk about Maria Bamford. It's 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 the it's it's one of Caitlin's I think it's Caitlin's favorite comedian if I, if you asked her. But if you if you said if you asked her that same question, she'd say Maria Bamford. But I would love to get Pat Oswald as well. I mean that's <laughs> Every time I say the name Pat Oswalt, I just think dollar signs. But um, but no, I'd love to have him. I'd love to have Maria Bamford. I'd love to have Kyle Kinane. I think Kyle Kinane would be an amazing fit for our festival because he's just so funny. I mean, we had our first. We've had a lot of cool moments at the club. You know, we've opened, we've shut, we've opened again. We've been victorious. We've made some money. We've had great comedians coming through, but. We had Sean Patton there recently, and he just told us he's like he's like I can't guarantee anything, but Hannibal might show up tonight. Wow! And of course, we're just like, all right, cool, man, whatever. It's no big deal. And inside, we're like, oh my god! And we had to, you know, we had to be ready to give a spot to Hannibal, like willingly, like you know, we yeah. had to make sure that everyone on the show knew what was going on because if Hannibal shows up, he's not doing five minutes. He's going to probably do 20 minutes and that's fine. Yeah. If he does more, he does more, but it's one of those treats. And so long story short on this, he doesn't show up during the show, but he shows up after the show and just kind of hangs out. And it was really nice. And it was like one of those things where like, this is what happens at other comedy clubs, you know, famous comedians show up to hang out. And we were, we were just, we were having a great time and he was wonderful. And we talked about, music and we talked about comedy and just you know it was a really good time it was one of those little little fancy moments that i will always remember and i'm thinking oh this could happen more because we're a cool comedy club we at least i think we are no i mean you got the handle burris seal of approval heck yeah <laughs> hopefully he remembers us <laughs> i'm watching right now i'm going back through king of queens and pat Oswalt yeah. is so good in that with with jerry stiller and he and Maria Bamford are friends. So I'm sure if you can get yeah. Maria, you might be able to get Pat and the other way around. And I don't know if you want well, to do that all I, in one year. Uh, I would actually, I mean, I would take, I would take Maria Bamford any year, anytime she want to show up. And like, I, I don't care if she, if she called up today and said like, I want to do a show on Thursday. Be like, all right, we're going to make a show happen on Thursday. Patton, I almost want to say like, let's, let's try to get him for the 20th. If we get him for like the 20th anniversary, which is in a couple of years, save our nickels and dimes but um yeah i i would i would love to have one of those or both of those at one point on on, on the festival stage well, well maria bamford is almost local i mean she's minnesota yeah i mean i we could make it happen we just would need the cash to do it so that's the <laughs> yeah. i forgot about that part yeah no 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 we could make it happen we just have to have the money she wants i mean that's the that's the side of production that you know is interesting as we're going along we're getting bigger and bigger names and you know they have requirements and they deserve those requirements and that's what i'm saying right now like we are a company who firmly believes that comedians should be paid and i don't care if you are you know we have eddie pepitone coming through this week if you're eddie pepitone you deserve to be paid if you are you know joe open micer and you're you're doing uh and you're hosting at the club and this is your big shot you deserve to be paid you will be paid i have run into so many producers who don't give a shit and they're comedians. They don't give a shit yeah. if they pay anybody. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you live with yourself for doing that? And also, how do you keep getting those comedians to come back and work for you? And it's just like, oh, well, they need stage time. It's like, you're an asshole. 
Like, I don't know. It's, I, I, I can't in good faith have somebody work for me. Even if somebody does a guest spot for me and I hate giving them out, but I will pay them in tip money. I will cut. I mean, it might only be 10 bucks or whatever, but I'm like, I value your time. You should be paid for it. No, I agree. I mean, that you should be paid. You should always be paid. I mean, and I think that that whole thing of, of I've done shows where I didn't get paid and it sucks. And, and honestly, I'm inside a person where I'm like, just, front me some gas money like throw me five bucks for the gas that i spent on this i'm not yeah. asking for 20 30 50 bucks i'm asking for you to cover what it costs for me to get to your city and that's really all i i require for for certain shows you know there are other shows where i'm like no i'm <laughs> you know if i'm being professional here and i'm doing 15 minutes and i'm traveling you know an hour two hours i expect something and you should pay me something and i you know because comedians are owed that and i i just i just firmly believe and that's one of the things i learned from working at milwaukee comedy is that you know comedians deserve to be paid and i didn't think that they didn't before that i just didn't understand the importance of it yeah or the work that went into you know perfecting those jokes or you know all the time you spent on open mics and in cars where you're obviously not getting paid yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So no comedians are, uh, should be paid. Uh, that's just all there is to it. I did a show recently where it's, it's funny how like time and perspective changes things, but I did a show recently where it was a sold out show. Actually they sold a few more tickets than that. And I hosted the show. And so I'm there for, it was a two hour show. It was a, like a marathon for me now. And I had to be right by the stage the entire time. Like I felt like I was working the entire time. I didn't get paid the cost of a ticket and they sold like 54, 58 tickets. And I'm like, that sucked. And it was like, how much was the show to get in? $30. $30. Yeah. So they made about, that's a, that's a lot. yeah, they made about $1,900 and I'm like, okay, I, I walked away with 25 and I was irritated because of that. I'm like, if they had paid me 30, it might've changed a little bit because I'm like, well, at least I got a ticket. Like I couldn't even yeah. afford to get into the show with what you gave me. Yeah. But like, I remember when I, I think the first money I ever got for comedy, it was at a show in Scranton at a bar. I got $6 and I was happy to have it. It wasn't like, Ooh, this is, this is great money. It was just like, Oh, thank you for, it was, they didn't get a whole lot of people there and they still gave me what they could yeah. give me. And I was like, that, that yeah. felt way more than the $25. No, no, I totally agree with that. If if I do a show in a bar and I can see them pulling money out of their own pocket, I'm either going to say no, thank you, or I'm yeah. going to be so appreciative of the money they're giving me. Because I'm not, I mean, I'm I'm a comedian and, and I understand, and I'm a producer, and I understand what it's like to to not, I mean, we always pay. We've never not paid, but I do understand what it's like to be like, this is really, this, this show we really lost some money on. Okay, yeah. but here you go, here's your money. No, no, I, I, I agree with that. And and I remember I did a show in a big city and it was a big city show and it was a cool show and a hip show and everyone wanted to get on this show because if you got on this show, you were cool and hip. And who doesn't want to be cool and hip, especially at my age? <laughs> uh, but it was a quote-unquote free show, but tips and donations were accepted. So yeah. they had this cake played out and I just saw people throwing money. I mean, I saw like fives and tens. I saw 20s on there. And so I'm like, I'm like oh, t- all right, here we go. This is going to be great. At the end of the night, didn't get paid a cent. Now, I was later told that it's because they have to rent the space and they have to do all this stuff. I'm like, that's fine. But that's where I, I formulated my whole, just give me enough to cover my gas. Just yeah. give me five bucks. 
Yeah. The the and even if and even if you told me that like if you said like hey man we we do this off of donations because of blah blah I probably would have even said don't worry about it, but there was no attempt at all to even try to pay any any of the comics and that's just in my opinion is crappy. Yeah, we've got a couple of places around here that do it that way, and it's I produce a lot and I've got a bunch of venues, so like I mean the money is in the producing. So it's like if I have to turn down, if I accept a gig where I'm not sure how it's going to go, if it's a door split, if it's if it's their first, second show, like I definitely want to do that show. But if I have a venue saying, hey, will you produce a show here? I'm like, yeah, I'll go because I know yeah. I'm going to get like, you know, I can set the budget. And because usually yeah. it's it's at the bar. It's like, hey, we'll give you three four hundred dollars. We do. This. Yes, absolutely. Because I'm just going to yeah. I'm a whore basically you know, like, like you throw me enough money. I'll do what you want. There you go. You're a comedy worker. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> do you think it's necessary for at least on a part-time basis for a comedian to also produce shows? Do you think they should step their foot in that just to see how the other side is like? I think that hmm, that's a great question. <sighs> I think that every comedian should experience. I, I'm a big believer in like, if you work for a place, you should learn how to do everything and that you can. I mean, like there's something, you know, like if you work at a hospital and no one's going to be like, Hey, today's the day you're going to learn how to do surgery. Um, <laughs> but, but like, if you work in comedy, I think it behooves you to learn that aspect of the business because it'll at the very least, it'll make you smarter in working with producers and bookers to know when you're getting screwed how not to get screwed and to also learn to never screw over comedians. Because yeah. even if like, even if you're just running, even if you're just like doing a basement show, if you're in charge of that basement show, guess what? You're a producer now and you have certain responsibilities. And those responsibilities are booking the show, telling people, getting people there, and then making sure the show runs smoothly. And that includes paying out the comedians. And it's easy to have, you know, a couple hundred bucks in your pocket and be like, God, I could just give everyone like 10 bucks and there you go. But you don't want to do that. And I think if you learn how to do just basic production, you learn how to become a, a better, you become, you learn how to become a better producer, but you also learn how to become a better advocate for yourself as a comedian to stand up for yourself and be like, no, I want to be paid this or no, I don't, I won't do your show because you're asking me to travel two and a half hours for 20 bucks and 10 minutes. That's not how that works. So that's a long, long answer to say, yes, I think so. <laughs> I think for me, it opened my eyes to say, oh, well, people need to be paid better. And this is why, yeah. you know, when I was offering just door splits, it's like, oh, this is why they took another show and canceled on me because, oh, they, they could guarantee yeah. $50 or $100 or whatever it was. And I was like, mm -hmm. and this is another thing. I, I will always tell people if they're struggling to make connections or get on shows, First of all, I say, well, you have to do mics in other towns too. Like make sure they know you mm -hmm. exist. Yeah. And also host as much as possible. Host the open mic. Yeah. Start an open mic. Do whatever. Yep. That's how you create your yep. networking opportunities, especially early. Yeah. I that's one thing that I think is in tall order right now are are hosts, good hosts. I remember when I started doing stand-up, God, I was I don't even remember how long I was doing stand-up before. Damon Millard said to me, you're going to host the open mic this week. And right. I was like, I can't do that. I've been doing comedy. I've been doing stand-up comedy for like two months. 
I can't host an open mic. Are you crazy? And I said, no, no, thank you. I'm not going to do it. And I thought about it for about 20 minutes. And I finally said, you know what? I take it back. I'm going to host the open mic. And I did great because I realized I have theater experience. I have improv experience. I have enough material in the beginning of the show to entertain everybody. So why not do it? And I had a friend of mine come up to me. He's like, he's like, you act the way you hosted. It was like, you've been hosting mics and hosting shows for years now. I'm like, yeah, it's because I just know how to entertain an audience. I know how to get them going. But for some reason, I thought I had to be a tried and true comedian, stand-up comedian to host an open mic. But I'm glad I did that because that changed the trajectory because after I hosted that one open mic, I started getting host work. Yeah. And then that changes everything as well because then you get on bigger and bigger shows and you meet bigger and bigger people. And like you said, you widen your network. And I think being a, a good host is far more valuable than being a stellar headliner because you will work so much. Like you can, being a great headliner is great. You know, if you're really funny, you're really funny, but if you can host really well, and the other thing too, the other piece of advice I I will give to any comedian is be willing to host at any level you're at. Yeah, I've got comedians who could headline the club who have said to me, I will host your club because they want the work. They want to be in front of people and they don't have an ego about it to them. It's not like I headline or nothing. I only headline or I only feature. No, because if you only feature, like I've said this before to young comedians who don't like to host, I said, if you don't host shows, you will never work in a club because they're not just going to hire you as a feature outright. Now, granted, some headliner can bring you along and that's a great way into That's how I got into some of the clubs in the, the Midwest is a friend of mine wanted me to feature for him. But I wouldn't have turned down the hosting gigs. And they and when comedians are like, no, I don't want to host, it's like, well, then you're never going to work in some clubs because they're not going to hire you to feature right away. Right. So you got to get yourself in there somehow. And if you are a good host, they will hire you and they will hire you again. And you will work that you'll work a club more as a host than than headliners will because they come through once a year, maybe. Whereas a host, they're like, yeah, maybe once a month if they're just doing a small rotation of performers. So I could talk hours on just the concept of hosting <laughs> because I think there are a lot of comedians out there who are so dead set against it. And I think that's to their detriment. I think that's not good for them personally. So, well, for me, it was, I came along, you know, five years ago, I've only been doing it for a little more five years and nobody wanted to host and the, the regular host, I guess she was a regular host just offered up. So like, who wants to host next week? And I said, I'll do it. And I think I'd been doing standup for maybe four months, five months, maybe. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. After that, she's like, yeah, if you ever want to host again, I said, I'll do it next week. And then I did it the next week. And then it was mine. Yeah. She's like, oh yeah, you can be the regular host. I'm like, sweet. And granted, I'm still hosting the fucking mic. (laughs) So like, like there's obviously I fell into a trap, but man, I, I book a lot of rooms now. I'm I'm paying bills as a comedian in Binghamton, New York. Mm -hmm. And I owe a lot to hosting that mic because it led me to, okay, well, if if these people from Syracuse are coming down to my mic, I should probably go to their mic, you know, return the favor. And then I went to Ithaca and it's like, oh, I started producing because of that. Because if you host, you can produce, I think, especially if you have that networking. If you host an open mic, rather, you can produce. So I love it. And, you know, there is the risk of being typecast, but I get a whole lot more work because I can host rather than because I'm funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's the other thing too. Is like, I mean, it, it, it definitely you should be funny. Someone right, should be right, funny right. when they host, but you can. Yeah, I, I yeah, I agree with what you said. I'm not going to. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to restate <laughs> what you said. It's very true. It's very true. You can pay. You can pay some bills on hosting if you're good enough at it. Right. Well, I think for that to work, you have to produce the shows too. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the worst set you've ever had? Worst show you've ever done? Oh, worst show I've ever done. God. Oh yeah, it was in Boston. I did um, Sam's show. Uh, what's the one he always had? I, I can't think of it right now. It's, like I said, it's too early. City Side Comedy in Boston, and I was really excited because I was in Boston for like seven days doing shows. Like I was like, you know, I did it like a legit. I like made little graphic cards for my tour, my, <laughs> my comedy tour in Boston. I was doing City Side, and he's like, "You're gonna go up first. I'm like, "All right, cool." And I go up first. And I just absolutely bombed my face off. I mean, the audience wasn't into me at one point. Like, I think during my opening joke, because like, I don't know if you've ever been to that show. And for the audience listening, audience is right there. Like you are like, I could set my beer down on someone's table. That's how close they are to me. I can reach it with comfort. (laughs) Um, And someone dropped their beer. Someone just spilled their beer all over the place. And I just could not get that audience on my side. It was the opening guy. There was nothing about it that was a warm up. There was, it was, they couldn't give two shits about me. And it was like, (laughs) you know, I'm sure I've probably had worse shows, but in recent memory, that one's probably the worst one. And I felt so bad because, like, you know, your friend books you on his biggest show and there's this great lineup and everybody else killed, of course. And I'm here, I am just like trying to make it work. I'm like, oh, please be. Please be nice to me. Laugh at my jokes. <laughs> I'm gonna lose a friend. You don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I, he made he made a mistake. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was that was not a good show at all. That was Boston was tough. There were some definitely some good shows in there, but Boston was a tough city. Like there were some tough uh, audiences, but but I would I'd come back anytime. <laughs> was that the first night of your tour? No, that was like I was almost done. I was almost oh, okay. Done. Like I at least you got that. I think, yeah, yeah. No, I had some good. I had some really good shows in there, and and I really met, met some really cool people too. So it was it was overall a great trip, and it was a nice vacation too. So, <laughs> what's the scene like in? Mo- First of all, I can't. I should have said this earlier. I can't believe you guys have the only club in Milwaukee. Yeah, it just it's surprising. So, so the. There used to be other stand-up comedy clubs in the area, but over time they all closed. Yeah, for various reasons, and we just were without a proper stand-up club. So, I mean, right now what you have in Milwaukee is you have us. We're getting an improv, but the improv is going to be in a, a town called Brookfield, and that's okay. outside the county of Milwaukee. So, it's called the Milwaukee Improv, but it's actually in, in Brookfield, uh, Wisconsin. They're going to I mean they're going to crush it absolutely. Like they're, they're the improv, and it's going to be great. Like I, people ask us all the time, "What do you think about the improv?" I'm like, I think that's they're going to do a great job, like they always do. But as far as Milwaukee, the city goes, we are the only comedy club. We model ourselves at least for myself i can't speak to matt and caitlin but i model that trajectory of success off of places like acme comedy club and the comedy attic where it's small venues with huge names coming through where you can see some of the biggest up-and-coming and established comedians in the country 
that's what I want to do. And we don't do, you know, we don't do drink minimums. We don't do food. We sell drinks, but right now the room seats 50. We're going to go up to a hundred by fall because we can, we just, yeah. we're still the holdover from the lockdown COVID stuff, but at the most we'll have a hundred people in there and it'll be by the year's end, the place is going to be unstoppable period. I listen to so many comedy podcasts and I'm, I'm addicted to yeah. them. And uh, part, part of that is because I'm a completionist. So if I start listening yeah. to a podcast, I got a buddy, Steve Brown, who keeps feeding me podcasts. And I'm like, you don't understand what you're doing to me. Like, I'm, I can't oh, do anything anymore. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't. I have like five podcasts I can listen to regularly. There's other ones I'll pick and choose from, but like there's like five, not even five, I think. And they're all like, none of them are comedy. One's about country music. One's about Scientology. One's about tennis. So like, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I don't want any of those. I don't think, I don't think I'd even, even subscribe for a friend who was like, Hey, I'm starting a tennis podcast. I was like, yeah, all right. Have fun with that. That's great. I'm not going to be listening to that <laughs> yeah. kind of podcast because it's probably going to suck. <laughs> but like, I hear all these comedians talk about how great the comedy act is. I'm like, who the fuck talks about Bloomington, Indiana? And yeah. like, it, but Acme yeah. is is like an all time like Madison on State. I don't. I mean, that's a theater, right? No, Comedy Club on State is a proper comedy club, and I should have mentioned them too. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Completely, completely like, um, like I said, too early. Uh, but no, <laughs> you picked the time, but, uh, by the way. I know, I know. This is on me. <laughs> this is on me. Like, and then after this, after this, I have to do. Uh, I have, I have a therapy appointment, so it's like I'm not even getting to like go back to bed or anything. I'm just, I'm up for the day because, because <laughs> I'm a moron. But, um. But no, comedy club. Yeah, comedy club on state. Acme and Comedy Attic are the three. In, and there, there's other comedy clubs in the area, in the country that are great. But those three, for me, are just great rooms run by great people who put on amazing performers and really know what they're doing. And that's what I want. I want to be in the same breath as those places. And they're fantastic. I've had the. Uh, the great luck to perform on two of those three stages and they're wonderful as well. So I see great things for the club. Then we're actually only in our first phase of that space because we're, when you walk in the door, the showroom is right there, but then there's a whole back area that we want to make into a proper club with 200, 250 seats. We want to be a good mid stop for, comedians who can't get the theater work yet or they don't want to do the theater work but also like because you know like right now they might be like i don't want to perform to 50 people but right you come in you're going to have a great time i mean that's just all there is to it that's the other thing too is we have these comedians coming through and i have to imagine that they're probably thinking to themselves oh 50 seats that's not a lot but when they leave they have a great time we show them a great time because one of the most important things that they need to remember is that if they are headlining the club it's because we want to see them headline the club. It's not because we we think to ourselves, oh, they'll sell drinks, or, well, we got to get ourselves a woman comedian this month. Yeah. You know, we we pride ourselves on a great deal of diversity in our lineups, and but if you're on our stage, it's because we want you on our stage, and we want we as comedians and we as fans want to watch you. The three, you know, and I'm talking about Caitlin, Matt, and myself. We want to watch you perform, and that's one of the great perks of being a producer. It's like obviously it's not free all the time. But you get to watch yeah. comedy that you like all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's 
I guess you say it is a privilege. I mean, I yeah. don't have to be a part of this. I could have easily said, no, I'm just going to be a stand-up comedian. I'm never going to do any production work at all. And, you know, years later, here I am. I'm a co-owner of a comedy club in Milwaukee and, and we're doing great stuff and we're getting, we're getting write-ups and we're getting comedians telling other friends, you know, you got to work here and it's good stuff. What did that do for the local guys? I mean, when you have a club, just kind of say, hey, we're going to launch this club. Does that inspire the local scene to kind of get moving a little faster or say, okay, well, now I've got to make sure Greg and Caitlin, they see me? I think that there can be part of that. Yeah, I can't I can't speak to them directly because – but I think that they now know that there is a goal, and that goal is to work the club to get – you know, we work it very much like, you know, all right, if we think you're ready, you might get a guest set. Yeah. Okay. Also, we also work you in our other remote show rooms, you know, like having you host those shows or feature those shows because the feature sets are a little bit shorter. They're more like the ho- they're more like a club host time frame. So if you can feature really well, maybe you can host at the club. And, and if you can host at the club, maybe down the road and we see you doing the work, we can have you feature. And I like to believe that some of those comedians are using us as a, a measuring um, measuring tape i don't know i have no idea how to use that metaphor they're using us as 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 part of the you know and and using us as part of their goal like it, it doesn't stop and it doesn't stop with us you know right. they want to get on festivals they want to get out of the state they want to go get to bigger places so you know i have to believe that we are part of their plan if they're planning correctly how you know i did when i was younger it was like well, I want to host at clubs. Okay, cool. And then I want to feature and then I want to headline and I'd like to do festivals and meet other comedians and go on a tour. I mean, that's still the, like going on a comedy tour is still like the fun thing. How about you guys? Like when you open that club, did it force you or kind of spark something in your brain and say, okay, well now we have to keep a eye on the talent a little more closely. Like, okay, well, we want to try to develop hometown hosts or features. Well, that's one of the reasons why we have the open mic. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, You know, yeah, we have an open mic on Wednesdays. It's a good way for us to be able to keep our eye on who is funny, who is, who is brand spanking new, who is doing the work, who is just someone to keep tabs on and to say, all right, this person might be good for this show. Like, and like I said, we, we can book off the mic. It doesn't mean you're gonna work the club, but it might mean you work keg stand up or dandy or something like that. But we definitely use that. So, and we usually get about 25 people there. So it's a nice starting point. That's great. It always bothers me. And I just, I feel like a, it's a disservice to the club in the community when a club won't hire somebody locally to at least host the show. And it's like, y- yeah. you're going to miss that person or they'll wait until that comedian goes to New York city. And now they've got that tag. It's like, well, he or yeah. she would have worked for you for nothing if you had even paid attention. And, and I never yeah. will understand that mindset. No, no, we, we book a lot of local and regional hosts. I mean, it depends on how often they're working, you know, like, so like we generally book a lot of Milwaukee comedians to host, but it also comes down to like, I'm a believer in having a rotating schedule. So like, you know, you have a group of, six or eight comedians okay those are your six or eight comedians who will host at the club all right you know you're working this weekend you're working that weekend you're working this weekend okay and you'll be you'll be back next month to host this weekend again you know it's i think it's a good way of doing it in my opinion because it just booking a host can be one of the most stressful things because you know headliners are headliners and 
features generally they're not like nothing's easy to book right but it's definitely it can be a headache to book a host because you know you're you're asking them to like i gotta take off work uh i'm gonna make less money if i do this show versus working on my job or they're just working some other show like whereas features and headliners we're generally booking further in advance yeah i know for me it's a little bit easier yeah for me as just producing like you know local bar shows and whatever I host just about everything I produce because it's easier to book the show and I can control it. And I've got a little uh, control problem, but I I can control how much time goes on between comedians, which for me, it's very little because I want the show Mm -hmm. to fit an hour and a half or an hour 40. And I've had people host shows of mine who like to make it about themselves. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like I I've had, I've had hosts, do time after the headline. And I'm like, that's not cool at all. No, you're at that point, you're holding somebody hostage. No, you, you like, I'm a, I'm a believer of of like the host should do their time. And then as soon as they're done doing their time, their only job after that is to bring the next comedian up. I, I watch hosts do two minutes between performers. I'm like, you, you're slowing everything up. And especially if, one of the performers has a, just a monumentally great set yeah. and the host doesn't have enough material and they're now bringing the entire, they're bringing the momentum down with their material. Yeah. I just, I just don't get down on that. I, I, you host, you do your five minutes or you do your 10 minutes up top. And then after that, your job is to bring the comedians up and make sure they get those names, right. Get those credits, right. And I'm being dead serious. I'm not like underplaying that either because I think there, yeah, I think that you have to get that stuff correct. It's important. These are the, these, you know, someone's name. Like I've been given, I remember one time a friend of mine said, he's like, he's like, you got my name right in one shot. I'm like, I don't deserve credit for that. That's just your name. It's <laughs> it's my job as a host to make sure your name gets pronounced correctly. <laughs> so when it comes to hosting, I'm very much, I've, I have a certain belief. And it's like that belief is after your set, you should be seen and barely heard. I did a show last night at a, a Japanese restaurant. It was very interesting, but I hosted it. And then my style is at the end of the show, I will thank the headliner. Hey, make it up for him or give it up for him, whatever. And then I'll banter a little bit. And I'm like, all right, thanks so much. Give it up. You're here. I will say one more time for Holly Griffin. One more time for Paul Spratt. One more time for the headliner. Good night. I won't say my name. And somebody last night was like, who are you? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't know. Like, it, that's just my style. It's like, you've seen me all night. Like, you, yeah. it's it's cool. I'm good. I mean, I think I think it's fine to say, like, and I am, I've been your host. Yeah. Greg Bach. Right. But, I mean, that's all. I mean, that's all cool. You should you should definitely do that stuff. But, yeah, it's it's that. It's those. I'm going to sneak a joke in between sets. Like, no, please it's such don't a, do It's that. such a gamble. Yeah, it rarely pays off. And also, I mean, I just think that. The next comedian's like, all right, well, I got to follow whatever happens next. If it goes really well, fine. Then I'm going to have some extra laughs to work with. But if it doesn't go well, then I got to clean up this little mess that this host made that I now. Yeah. Like I said, I could talk for hours on the concept of hosting. (laughs) Well, I, I closed the show recently and the host right before me. It was approaching a two-hour show, and I'm like, it, it can't go much longer. Like, and I, I'm factoring my perspective time in there. So I'm like, okay. And right before I went up, he goes, "Hey, I want to try a couple things." I'm like, oh, like in my, I was like screaming in my eyes. It wasn't my show, and I'm like, all right, yeah. And three minutes of shit, and I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Now I got to climb out of that, and I did. 
But it's yeah. like, okay. And then I got lit early because the show was long. And I was like, you asshole. Like, yep. you took that from me. So there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that I, I don't like about other hosts. I just don't like. I mean, I, I it's it's about the method. It, it, like, you could do a podcast about hosting. <laughs> hey, that's the next one. <laughs> but, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but, man, this is so great talking to you. I appreciate doing this. No, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. How can people follow along with what you guys are doing and what you're doing on social media? Yeah. So you can go to the Laughing Tap on social media. That's where you can find us. Um, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I think we even have a TikTok page where we have one video, but like I think we just wanted to grab that before someone else took it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find us at the Laughing Tap on social media. You can go to laughingtap.com for t- tickets. You can see who we get, um, even if you're not. I just want people to see what we're doing. Yeah, and you can also go to milwaukeecomedy.com for our remote shows. Follow us on social media, Milwaukee Comedy as well. For me, I am Greg Bach on also all the social medias. I'm not very good at social media right now. I kind of fell out of it. I don't do a lot of it uh, anymore. But if you do want to follow me on the social media, I am Greg Bach is where you'll find me. But but go to the club. Go to the club. That's more, that's more important than than me getting politically mad about things that don't. <laughs> Oh, I have an opinion on the on the vaccine. Oh, grave guy from Wisconsin who gives a shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you go to laughingtap.com, uh, the laughing tap on social media and Milwaukee comedy. And you can find us and view our cool stuff. And if you're a performer, get in touch with us. Who knows? You might you might be on stage. <laughs> Dude, that's perfect. Thank you so much for doing this, man. And I'll, I'll talk to you in a bit. All right, yeah. cool, thanks a lot for having me. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in